The following episode contains explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. From the Ron McKeefery Podcast Network, I'm Isaiah Castilleja, and this is Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. In this episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0, Coach Wyndham Flat talks to us about the four requirements that individuals should consider when looking at jobs, how strength and conditioning cultures vary across different countries, and why he decided to step away from the collegiate athletics to start his own company. All this on another episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. If you're a strength coach or trainer and tired of using Excel, then you need to check out Team Builder. You already know who they are. Team Builder is the online strength conditioning software for strength coaches and personal trainers. No matter what your setting is or how many athletes you're training, you can log into Team Builder and write programs, build questionnaires, and access athlete and client performance data. Go completely paperless and program through Team Builder's TV mode, their weight review function, or the mobile app that comes free with every subscription. Start your 14-day trial for free today by using the promo code CHALK, that's promo code C-H-A-L-K, to become part of the hashtag Team Builder Nation alongside with six NCAA national champions, three NCAA runner-ups, Super Bowl champions, and many other championship teams. With affordable subscriptions for personal trainers to personal organizations and professional organizations, everything in between, Team Builder is a company that puts the customer first. If you're still not convinced, schedule a 30-minute demo with Team Builder Expert on teambuilder.com and see what they could offer you. Hewitt and the staff at Team Builder are standout individuals and their product is phenomenal. Check them out. The Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0 podcast is brought to you by Play. Listen in on a conversation with Play's Global Director of Performance and Education, Coach Mike Buley. Coach Buley describes the vision of how Play will continue to be the company that will propel the innovation of the strength and conditioning profession forward. Well, after 22 years of, of coaching, I've learned that connection trumps communication and that it's not enough for coaches to know that you care. And I think you got to take that a step further. They need to experience that you care. And I've always been a coach that tried to be more tra uh, transformational than transactional. And so with that awareness in mind too, I always enjoyed working and learning and talking to other people and, and coaches and developing that camaraderie. I've always made myself available to the community because I remember how hard it was too to try to get a crack into this this profession. And uh, I promised myself if ever I was given a shot, I would never take advantage of that. I always allow myself to uh, help other people uh, chase their dreams in this profession. It's been very good to me. Play is a company that will help your strength conditioning program find solutions for all your needs. Review second best and check them out at play.us for more information.
Welcome back, everybody. It's another episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. Today, we are joined by performance coach Kier Wyndham Flat. He's currently a founder and proprietor of the Strength Coach Network. Prior to that, he was the director of athletic performance and coordinator for football performance at William & Mary. He's also had stops at the University of Richmond, Toshiba Rugby Team, Union Argentina de Rugby, Sydney Roosters, Rotherham Titans, RUFC, London Wasps, and the London Scottish RFC. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. Thank you for having me. Yeah, pleasure. Absolutely. Can you talk to us a little bit about how the strength coach network started because you're at what three or four years or four or five years on the straight coach network and building it up and getting some really good content on there. Can you talk to us a little bit about why you started it and what it is now? Poverty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I, uh, I started working for myself. Uh, I graduated just in time to uh, coincide with the recession in 08. So I, I ended up working for myself by accident because there were no jobs and there, there have been a few different phases as my career started to take off in rugby. That was the only place that I had credibility to, to speak on. I don't look like an Instagram model. So why, why would you listen to me about muscle gain and fat loss? And you know, the, the, the products and services for players went well, but it's, um, seasonal in nature and you know there's there's a real thin part of the population that actually want those products and services because the way it works in pro rugby is if you're going to be a pro you're getting it for free if uh you're not going to be a pro you don't care because you're not going to make it and uh it starts so young that there's really this thin slice of the population where you have to be on the cusp of making it or you're highly motivated to to invest in that so for that reason, I kind of pivoted to, to coach education. It's not seasonal. There's a lot of motivation to, to invest in yourself and spend money. Uh, it's year round. And um, it got to the point where I looked at the members and there's like 75% of the members have nothing to do with rugby. We're now, I think, with 35 to 40 different countries that we have members. So that was the reason to be broad and, and, you know, market as strength coach network as to the reason why I absolutely sucked when I came out of university. So I graduated in 08. I did not get the opportunity to work for free full time until 2010 because I was so bad. I had a degree that I spent three years getting. I, I did well at that degree, but there was this huge gap between what it was that I needed to uh, function and thrive in that environment. What I was told was important by the uh, accrediting bodies and what I was taught at university. So filling those gaps is why strength coach network is a thing. And I I'm a believer in, you know, whatever problems it is that you've gone through yourself, try and build it for others. So they don't have to, to go through that problem themselves. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, you know, that on the head, it's just what we get in our degrees and what we need in the profession are two very different things. Now, what kept you going? Cause I know it was a, a few, like you said, three year gap between degree and like being able to do something with it. What kept you going or like, why, why did you not stop there? Cause I'm super, super stubborn. Nice. <laughs> you know, you it's one of those things where you, I mean, once, once, normally once I've committed to something, I'm going to be like, right, 
you know, I'm, I'm going to keep doing this. And, and truthfully, now, you know, I'm 36 now and I look back at my career and I went from being an intern in 2010 to working for a top 12 country in the world in rugby. And we ultimately finished top four in three years. And you think, how did that happen? But in my mind, I was like, of course, I, you know, I deserve this opportunity. Never any doubt in my mind. It wasn't a question of, am I going to make it? It was a question of when and, and how and what problems I'd have to get around um, at the time. But yeah, it just, I, I decided, right, I'm going to commit to this. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I, I also have a short, me- uh, sorry, a long memory. And if, if I feel that people have fucked me over or wronged me, it's like, right, I'm going to prove you wrong, which is a good thing and a bad thing. But certainly at that time in my career, it kept me, it kept me going. No doubt. And I think that's, that's good to have. And like you said, it's a good thing and bad thing, but mostly good, especially when you're going through all the nonsense that most of us have to go through just to get to that next step. Now, you established yourself within your first 10 years of being a coach as the, the rugby strength coach and you worked with high level rugby players. What possessed you to be like, all right, time to go take on American football and start all over again. I made the mistake of getting everything that I wanted professionally. Oh, you know, okay. I, yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> when I, uh, I mean, within reason, you know, I started out in, in rugby at 25. So I was turning 25 as I became a full-time intern and what I had said to myself at the time was, you know, if I could be a head strength coach in the premiership by the time I'm 30, that would be an absolute dream outcome. You know, at the time it was like, if I could have at the end of that year, a, a full-time job as a professional strength coach in my head, you know, dream scenario, made it, did it. Then it was like, well, I'm not happy with this. You know, I'm the, I'm the assistant to the academy. I get paid like shit. I get treated like shit. I want a first team job. Didn't get it, but I was running the academy by the time I was 27. And I was like, oh, it's not a first team job. I don't like it. So then I went to Rotherham. I actually went down a level and took a pay cut and um, to, to get the adult experience, to get the title. I did that. And I was like, oh, but you know, I'm in Rotherham. Rotherham's a shithole if you've never been there. And then, you know, I got the the gig for Argentina, but then I was I was temporary, I was assisting, I wasn't running the show. And I was like, oh, but I'm not running the show. But you're like, hang on, I'm working in professional rugby. Then I went to Sydney Roosters, richest rugby league club in the world, current premiership champions, 15 minutes from Bondi Beach, and I got the head of academy. They promoted me up to head strength coach within three weeks or speed strength of power. Horrible job. Then I finally get to back to Argentina, went to the world cup and we drastically overperformed and it's just those moving goalposts. So by the time I was 30, you know, I'd been a head strength coach uh, in the NRL for the premiership champions. I'd worked in all these different countries. I'd been to the world cup. I'd worked with elite level athletes. I'd, you know, and then I, I got to Japan and I thought, you know, really there's only a few more things that I would like to do in rugby. And it would really just be the, you know, the icing on the cake. And I thought, right, I'm going to cash out. And then I'm going to start again and see if I can do it in the NFL because I f- there's definitely this perspective in Europe, which is America's this pedestal and you might have made it everywhere else, but until you make it in America, you're not shit. So I thought, right, I'm going to go to the NFL and I'm going to demonstrate to everyone that I am worth this shit. And of course, I immediately found out I was having a kid as soon as I moved to America, single parent, all that kind of stuff. So I, I moved the goalpost, but that was the reason. And, you know, truthfully, financially, I was in a position to be able to do that. Like when I left Japan, I'd actually managed to save up 
a quarter of a million dollars. So the pay cut that I took to work in the college system was $215,000. They paid me 15 grand a year at Richmond. That's how badly I wanted to prove everyone wrong. <laughs> All right. There you go. Yeah, no, definitely. So real quickly, and, and I will definitely go more in depth of this, but you know, there's, we, we have listeners from mostly the U S but we also our other big two demographics are Europe and Australia here. So for our listeners that are listening in, you know, Europe or Australia, you said when you got to the roosters, it was just it, everything you thought it would be was, it was not, it was a horrible job. What made it horrible. And what's, I guess, one thing you would say about that side of the high performance model, where you'd be like, look, you know, just because you're there, like, what, what are you looking out for? What do you, what, what, what made it so difficult? Uh, just a poisonous political environment. Um, you know, by all accounts, the, the year before I got there, uh, the year that they actually won the, the premiership, there were numerous people in, in that staff that couldn't stand to be in the same room as each other, even though they won. And, you know, there was just this, uh, I guess, almost like a divide between the staff, um, which is one thing. And then it, it, basically what happened was the reason that I got that job was it was convenience. Convenient for them. I was already there. They dangled it in front of me and I said, yes, but then really, uh, obviously there's two sides to every story, but my feeling was that they just wanted someone to do what they'd already been doing for them. And it's like, you start going out with a girl and she's like, Oh, my ex-boyfriend didn't do this. My ex-boyfriend didn't do this. My ex was like, do you want to fuck me or do you want to fuck your ex-boyfriend? <laughs> and it got to the point where I just thought I, I had, I had that, well, when I'm going to be 30, I'm going to be a head strength coach. And I'm like, hang on, I'm 28. I'm two years ahead of schedule. I must do this. And then you get the logo fever. You're on TV every week, all this bullshit, right? And now I realize that I think there's four things that every job should be evaluated on. I call it the four Ps. Pay, personal, progression, purpose. Does it, does it give you a decent amount of money that you, you get to live a decent lifestyle? And that's going to vary for everyone based on family and you know, you said you had three kids, uh, personal life. So what's, what's your relationships like? Are you getting to spend time with your loved ones? Um, purpose. Do you feel like you're actually making a difference in the work that you do and career progression? Is it moving you closer towards a stated career objective? If you have four, stay until you die. If you have three, only leave for four. If you have two, actively be looking. If you have one or less, you need to slap yourself because you, you put yourself in a bad situation. And I, I did that. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no doubt. And you hear that? You got to pay. You got to go to Strength Coach Network to get the rest of this. Uh, this, this little. I'll give you guys a shout out. But no, I think that's actually, you know, it's very important. And I mean, you're, you're telling me exactly what I went through. Like we all are young, and we're all filled with like a lot of like prove the world wrong. And then when you get there, you're like, all right, man, you have to have a serious conversation with yourself and figure this out. But so having been on both like the European or and, and Australian high performance model and been heavily entrenched in the American collegiate strength conditioning model. What's, I guess, what's the biggest difference between the two and what could each one learn from each other? America is the, the collegiate environment is the industrialization 
of strength and conditioning. Ever seen that quote about, oh, remember, it takes six months to build a Rolls Royce and 24 hours to build a Honda Civic. What they want is Rolls Royce athletes with a production line mentality. So if you look at uh, sport coaches and you imagine that they gave each sport coach 150 athletes to concentrate on and say, right, you are responsible for making each of these athletes a perfect little snowflake and personalized plans and so on. They would fall flat on their face, but it's not uncommon, you know, smaller colleges to have 150 athletes for every strength coach. Yet they expect, Oh, I want an individualized program. I want this. I want that. They don't care about that. One of the things that I would say about college sport is don't tell me what your values are. Show me where you show me where you spend your money, where you spend your attention. Don't tell me you're a family. Let me look at your staff turnover. Don't tell me you're about high performance. Let me see where you spend your money. Is it on buildings or people? So they're uninterested in that. It's, it's the conveyor belt mentality. Get them in, get them out. If, if you're interested in less but better, why is it that you're catering for 23, 24, 25 sports when 14 is the bare minimum and only two or three of them make money? Men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball, football, that's it. <laughs> Everyone else can just get the, the, the bare minimum of love. So I find it quite ironic that in such a capitalist country and society, there's such a communist approach to strength and conditioning and athletics in, in college sport. Everybody wants to be equal. It's our budget. It's our this, it's our that. It's like, well, why don't you bring in some money? <laughs> and um, what I think what Americans do well is it, it's kind of ironic. It, they, they do do the business aspect of it well. They know how to market themselves. They know how to, to tell a story. Um, what I love about America is everyone is super optimistic. They love getting behind a project. Um, they're really enthusiastic. They value the individual contribution. Whereas in Asia, it's very collectivist, not individualist. Nobody wants to stand up and, and, and break out and say, yeah, it's going to be me. Um, and then I think what America does poorly, there's a, I think there's a variety of reasons for it, but culturally, you get these much flatter um, hierarchies in Australia and Europe where you, you can talk, you know, equal to equal with a sport coach. Maybe it's the difference between pro and college, but you can, you can have that conversation between equals. You can give an opinion and the athlete is an active stakeholder in their own training. In America, football especially, it's yes, sir, no, sir. They call you coach, all that kind of stuff. And I think that plants the seeds for the, the Jordan McNairs of the world where you get an athlete that will not speak up and actually gets run to death. Is that needed in some environments? Quite possibly. Not, not the, the Jordan McNair stuff, but is, is, is more of a disciplinarian approach needed? Quite possibly. Is it also the, the root of all of the athletes just getting absolutely ground into dust? Yes. So that's one thing that I would change. We'll be right back. Woodway is a company that has been designing and building treadmills and equipment for the long run since 1974. 
Each of their treadmills is designed with the revolutionary slap belt running surface, which is both lightweight and durable. It is specifically designed to absorb energy at the point of impact, eliminating harmful shock to joints and connective tissues. 100% of the NFL, NBA, and MLB teams and 60% of NHL teams utilize Woodway products to optimize their training. Woodway's curved treadmill was released in 2009 and boasts a completely self-powered manual training experience that does not require any electricity. This unique piece of equipment allows athletes to run at any pace they choose and burn up to 30% more calories than the regular treadmill. Other unique offerings from Woodway include the Curve Trainer, Curve XL, Forefront, and Pro Treadmills. Each treadmill offers features that are fit for every athlete. The silent and energy efficient product from Woodway has resulted in 50% electricity savings for owners. If you're looking for equipment that is built to last and will improve and provide each of your athletes an experience like no other, check out Woodway today at woodway.com. Definitely. And it's, that's all really good. And I actually had a, a good chance to see that version of that model. Um, when I was at the university of Colorado, St. Kilda saints, the Australian rules football came over here and they brought all their coaches and they literally just had one coach for conditioning, one coach of strength one. And then there was a sports science director and then yeah they did that definitely yeah yeah and definitely and then they had the skippers of the team come up and like like you said they had a say in what was going on so it's very unique especially being indoctrinated essentially all in uh american american collegiate sport now so you you get to america you get to richmond and and also william and mary what was the big how did you go about I think either conforming or just evolving as a high performance coach coming from, you know, the highest levels of sports performance in the world and then coming right to university of Richmond and then William and Mary. I mean, Richmond, Richmond was fine. It was more of like a stopgap, but a William and Mary, we, that was the problem. We had nominally been brought in to do the same. So you get recruited and, and convinced to, to join on, well, we're going to be a high performance model. And of course, in a high performance model, the highest performers get, uh, you know, rewarded, retained, promoted. The lowest performers can fuck off. Um, the athlete gets put at the center of everything. You're not interested in uh, hierarchy. You're interested in the truth. And we promptly went about, you know, <laughs> kneecapping people. So, you know, uh, a sport coach, I'll give you I like real examples. Like, well, um, this is how they, this is how they do it at X team in the big 10. And I said, I don't care how they do it at X team in the big 10. I said, can you justify this program to me? No. I said, right. I'll take the same program, give it to any one of 10 people in the English premier league. And they'll tell me I'm right. And you're wrong. So what's your next argument? I've been coaching 27 years. I don't care how long you've been coaching. You're wrong. And uh, ultimately that can work, but you need an administration that doesn't just talk progressively. They're willing to pay the price of making progressive decisions because the idea that you're going to implement a model like that and it's everybody seeing you come by is not the case. I reckon you have three to six months 
so that everybody can get their seat on the bus. And after that, everyone else gets run over. Right. Yeah. No <laughs> Which doubt. is what happens in pro sport. You know, I had a conversation with an administrator and say, well, I'm sure you've, you've encountered coaches like this in pro sport. And I said, yeah, they get fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. That's, a, that's exactly what it is. I mean, like you said, it's based on performance and like, can you justify all your actions there? Yeah. You, 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 any opinion you give is going to be weighted against your experience and qualification in that particular area. So the average sport coach has zero, zero qualification to speak on matters of uh, physical preparation. And yet they'll tell you how to do your job. And this is the problem where responsibility, but not authority. You're responsible for the physical preparation. PS run this program. (laughs) So it's like, my friend said, it's like, you're, you're in a car being driven by monkeys. You're responsible for the design of the cup holder, but if the car crashes, it's your fault. Right, right, right. No, that, yeah, definitely. No, so, I mean, you touched on a, a lot of good things. So you got to William & Mary. You're able to, you know, you became the, the director of performance and everything. I was under Eric, yeah. So yeah, Eric sure. was the director of high performance, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and Eric Kerem, he's a great, brilliant dude. And what... I guess what was the biggest hurdle that you faced having your experience in the world and then coming here and trying to implement a version of that? Administration. Because again, it, 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 if you say it's, it's fine if you want to be club sports in a fancy rapper, but by definition, unless you are a perennial number one or number two, that means you're way off the pace to win. It also means that if you want a large amount of success in a short space of time, you're not going to get there via incremental change. There has to be wholesale change because by definition, the current way of doing things is not working and it's unacceptable if you want to win. So then if you say, this is what we're going to do. Then you say, right, okay, what, what does success look like? What does the elite level demand? How are we going to go out and get those resources, get those people? Are we going to make sure that we um, give them the, the training and, and everything that they need to achieve that? What are the metrics that we're going to evaluate them by? How are they going to see that through to completion? It most, well, uh, William and Mary, they fell down by saying, here's what we're going to do. And then you say, okay, I need this, 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 this. I need you to make these following changes. I need you to cut this, 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 this. Never follow through on it. So it's, it's uh, the, the lack of appetite to, to follow it through to completion. Definitely. And like you said, if you're not winning, it's, it's pretty difficult. You have to do whole wholesale changes. So let's say, say for the Alabamas and the, like the Georgias and like just the people that recruit better than everybody else, how would you say we should go about kind of creating something like that? Cause like you, like I, I fully, I'm fully aware is like, you know, unless you're number one or number two, and like you said, you're just recruiting better than everybody else. You know, have you seen another school or anything organization kind of implementing I guess like a proper way or, or just a, a better way of going about things. Like you said, working Indiana, with them. I mean, in, in football, Indiana comes to mind. 
uh, I, I think it's fair to say if you look at like who's in their recruiting area, who they're competing with, uh, Notre Dame and uh, Wisconsin. AP poll, I think they finish at like 12th at one point. Like that is seriously punching above their weight. Um, and obviously Aaron Wellman, Cameron Joss, those are two of the the, the best dudes that you're going to find in uh, in college football. Ironically, the guys before them now won a national championship at Alabama. They're really, really good. Um, definitely punching above their weight. Um, I think when it comes down to, with, with the recruiting thing, like you, you mentioned, there's a, a guy named Howard Marks. He's an investor for Oak Tree Capital. And he talks about, in investing, he said the price is baked in. So if you know about the company, what I know about the company, we both think there's value to be had there. We both bid up the price until there's no value left to capture because value is obviously the difference between what you think it's worth and what you pay for it. And if they're the same, there's no, there's no value, there's no advantage. So to be a successful investor, what you have to do is be a contrarian. I have to go looking for value where you're not looking and where you're not bidding up the price. The trick is, is I have to have the judgment to know that you're not looking there, not because it's a terrible idea, right? So the two things that you need to have that advantage is contrarianism and judgment. So when it comes to recruitment, if you think like, what round was Brady drafted in? Six? Six, yeah, six. Yeah, Tyron Matthew. Super Bowl MVP, third or fourth round pick because of his, you know, his issues. So then it's like, how do you make every recruitment or every pick a Brady or a Tyron Matthews? So it's like, do you have an informational advantage to know what it is you're looking for that other teams don't know? So things, things like that. And I think that might be one way that you can punch above your weight as an organization is to have some kind of insight. And I think it would come down to um, psychological profiling and being able to try and quantify decision-making and problem-solving. Absolutely. And I think that I, I've, I've seen a few coaches that do do a psychological, psychological profile because like, look, if you're good enough to be recruited at this level, like you're, you're pretty good. Now let's just make sure like psychologically you match with the, everything we got going on there. And I think that's a good, a good way to go about it. And like you said, punch above your weight. Uh, so now this at the end of William and Mary, so where, did that leave you? And let's kind of segue into, um, you know, you're like the meme king of all things sports performance. Because <laughs> I mean, I've been like following you for a while. Like I, I knew when you're at William Mary, and then when you and when uh, everything. Dude, I used to get called by Eric like once a week, like take it down, take it down, take it down. <laughs> yeah. And I left, and I was like, "Fuck this!" <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, it, what? When did it set in? You're like, "All right, America and the strength conditioning sports performance model over here is just—is it the same shit, different day, or was it um, something?" Or like, "All right, let's find something else." Um, it was a variety of things. Um, it it was quite apparent that either we had been lied to by the school about what persuaded us to work there. And I, you know, I told the AD straight up, like it's, it's embarrassing to tell people that you work for this school. So I'm not here for the logo or to have my resume. Like I don't need the money. I don't need to be here. Uh, or they just changed course and never told us. So there was that. Um, Eric left, Scott left. So basically the band uh, broke up. Um, single parent, 
Um, and then it, it got to the point where the number of hours per week that I was dedicating to the school versus um, the business, you know, if I work 60, 70, 80, 90, you know, not that it happened, hours per week at the school and we win a national championship, am I going to get a pay rise? Absolutely not. They're going to pay the minimum that they can convince me to not leave for. If I put those hours into my own stuff, what's the ceiling and what I earn? whatever I'm good enough to earn. So I did that. And then I thought really at the time, because of the COVID shit, I had an administrator schedule me to be on the floor 12 to 14 hours a day in one hour sessions without a break. And I kept emailing. I said, listen, if you keep this up, I'm not going to do this. And then I just dropped the ball and said, right, see you later. Get on with it. Um, so in terms of the purpose, like what purpose are you going to feel or feel like you're doing your best work when you're training 10 kids in a mask in a six by six box. And I thought I can do better than this. So I thought, do I, do I want to influence a bunch of uninterested sport coaches when the administrator has their back, not mine, or can I try and influence hundreds, if not thousands of coaches via a, a different pathway? And that was the decision that I made. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being a strength coach is difficult. And someone once said on our podcast, we pour so much into helping our athletes become better, but we forget who's pouring back into us to help us become better. Without a healthy mind, coaching on the floor, programming, and maintaining the juggling act that we call life can be difficult. The good news is the therapists at BetterHelp are here to help you. Therapy can be whatever we want it to be. Maybe you need the tools to help you keep motivated, or maybe you're feeling burnt out from long days in the weight room, or you just need someone to talk to. BetterHelp is a customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist at a time that works for you. We have a very busy schedule as a strength coach, and the last thing we need to do is be driving to an office and sitting in a waiting room. Simply log into your account and message or speak to your therapist from anywhere at a time that works for you. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. BetterHelp also assesses your needs and will match you with one of over 20,000 therapists in their network. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself and make your mind your best asset. We train to keep our bodies strong and resilient. Now it's time to invest in our mental health too. And as a special offer to Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0 listeners, you can get 10% off your month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash chalk. That's betterhelp.com slash C-H-A-L-K. And thanks again for BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you to our great guests for taking the time to share their experiences. Thank you to Play and Team Builder for being great companies that help our profession. And most importantly, thank you, the listeners. Please find us on social media at Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. Find our show notes on wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave us a rating, comment, and subscribe. And don't forget to say hi. It's great to hear from coaches from around the country. Talk to you all next week on another episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0.